0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You can open your Bibles to John chapter 3. You know, sometimes we get so busy doing the church thing or doing the Christian thing that we stop to ask ourselves, why? Why am I here right now? Why are you here? Why are we doing this? But if we were to stop and ask ourselves that question, the answer for me, and I know for many of you, the answer would be, because I think it's true. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not die but live forever. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn or destroy the world, but that the world might be saved through His Son. God loves the world. It's His heart to save and not to destroy. And I believe that that's true, and that's why I'm here. And I know that's why many of you are here. I believe it's true that I will not die in the end, but that Jesus has made a way to escape death and to live forever, and not just to go on living this life on and on forever and ever, which, of course, that would be intolerable eventually. But no, to live forever in a beauty and a joy that language cannot describe and our hearts cannot begin to comprehend, a beauty and a joy in which we shall never tire, because it's the beauty and the majesty and the joy of God, whom I've never seen, but I will see someday. I'm here because I believe that that's true, and because it's true it changes everything. Say amen if you believe that's true. It changes everything. So John chapter 3, and indeed the whole gospel of John, is devoted to answering one of the most important questions a person can ask. What must I do to be saved? How do I find my way to that indescribable beauty? and the joy of heaven that you're talking about, which is why if you know somebody in your life who is asking that question, tell them to read the book of John. Tell them to to read chapter 3, maybe, and then you'll talk about it with them, Then read the whole book and talk about it together. Now, when we go to chapter 3, and we back up to the part that we didn't hear read to us just a moment ago, but the beginning of the chapter, we see that Nicodemus, Who is a teacher and a leader among the Pharisees, a religious uh, teacher of the Jews? He has come to Jesus in the middle of the night to ask him questions. And some say, oh, he came in the middle of the night because he was afraid. He didn't want other people to know that he was talking to Jesus. Other interpreters say, no, John, in writing the gospel, puts in the detail about Nicodemus coming in the middle of the night to show Nicodemus' spiritual condition. He was in the dark. He did not understand. Contrast to earlier chapters, already in chapter 1, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. Nathaniel, one of the disciples, in his first conversation with Jesus, he's talking to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Nicodemus can't quite get there. He's not ready. He says, you're a teacher. God is clearly with you. But he's not ready yet to say, You are the Son of God. He's in the dark, but Nicodemus knows he's in the dark. He's come with questions. He's asking and he's seeking. He was searching. And the purpose of this sermon is that everyone here might know what saving faith is and how to get it. Because there are Nicodemuses here in the sanctuary today. For the rest of you, when we say at the table every week, If you're not baptized or you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or following Jesus right now, we're so glad you... That's not just for show. We in leadership know that at any given moment, there are several people who consider this church to be their church home, but who would not call themselves a Christian. And they're on a journey and they're seeking. And it's important for the rest of you to know they are here. To pray for them. And to know that they're listening to what I'm saying right now. There are Nicodemuses here today who are in the dark, but they're searching for the truth. And if that is you today, I want you to know that just like in the story, Jesus is willing to meet with you. He wants to talk with you. There are others here who are also Nicodemuses, and they're in the dark, but they don't know it. They're in the dark about being in the dark. They think, well, I've been baptized been in church most of my life, but they do not understand the true spiritual condition that they're in. And so for you too, I hope that the Lord will open your eyes and help you to understand. And that is also why the purpose of this sermon is that everyone here might understand what is saving faith and how to get it. And for still others and for many of you, you do have saving faith. You're not like Nicodemus. But I still want you to listen, because I I want you first to understand that there are Nicodemuses in your life. There are people in your lives who don't have access to Jesus, who don't know they can go to him in the middle of the night, which they can, but they don't know it with their questions. But they know you, and they might come to you with their questions, and I want you to know how to simply talk to them. So pay attention to this sermon so that you'll be equipped. But also, we're not going to just talk about saving faith and how to get it. We're also going to talk about how do you grow in it. Is it possible to grow in saving faith once you have it? Well, absolutely. Here again, some of the words from our epistle reading from Romans chapter 4. This is about Abraham when God told him, you're going to have a child, and you'll have descendants as many as the stars in the heavens, even though at that point, Abraham had no child. And it says... Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, and his wife, who was barren and also old. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Rather, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he said he would do. And Paul says that is why Abraham's faith was called righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. And then Paul goes on to say, and that was written down not for Abraham's sake, but for ours, so that we would know when we believe in Jesus and we believe in God who raised him from the dead, it will be counted to us as righteousness as well. But the point here is, if you know the story of Abraham, this was not the only time where God asked something big of him. Believe that you'll have descendants. That was one of several moments in Abraham's life where he had to put his faith into the Lord for something big and to grow in that saving faith that he did already have. So that applies to all of us this morning. Whether you're Nicodemus or whether you're Abraham, the adventurous invitation is the same to all, to put your whole trust in Jesus, to believe in him. That is the path that leads to eternal life. All right, when we go again to John chapter 3, and we're looking at this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, in the early part of this conversation, Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus in several different phrases that all mean the same thing. You need to be born again. You need to bo- be born from above. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be born of the water and the Spirit. You need to be born anew in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, in order to be saved. Now, Nicodemus is confused, he's unsettled, because in his mind, saving faith is something you're born into if you're a Jew. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, it's not enough for you to be born a Jew, brother, you've got to be born anew. It's not enough for you to be born a Jew, you've got to be born anew. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think that same logic applies to us? Is it enough simply to be born into a Christian family? Is it enough to be baptized and to go to church? All of those things are important, and so much of that is how we come to saving faith. But those things, without saving faith, they are not enough. Any more than simply being a Jew or simply being circumcised was not enough. And if we were to go back to Romans, and read more of chapter 4 in the beginning of that letter, we would see that this is Paul's argument. He's saying to those who are resting on the outward mark of circumcision on their flesh, he's saying that is not enough. And he's using Abraham as the example. He's saying Abraham was not saved, it was not counted him as righteousness because of the outward mark of circumcision on his flesh. Because that was spoken to Abraham, that this is counted to you as righteousness, before Abraham was circumcised. So Paul's whole argument is it's not the circumcision, but wholehearted trust in God. That is what was counted as righteousness. That is what is saving faith. So for us, too, the outward marks of baptism and going to church and being in a Christian family, young people, I'm talking to you, that alone without saving faith is not enough, not without wholehearted trust in Jesus. Now, when Nicodemus heard this, he was confused and unsettled, just like you would be if Jesus sat down and looked you in the face and said, you think you have it all together, you think you know, you think you're saved, but you're not. It's not enough to be born a Jew. Brother, you've got to be born anew. I tried to think of a rhyme that would rhyme with go to church, but the only word that I could think of was lurch, and that didn't work, <laughs> or birch, but that's not any better. So what does it mean to be born anew? Let's look now at verses 13 to 16. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's referring to himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And now for the all-famous verse, for God so loved the world, he loved the world in this way, that He gave what was most precious to Him, not His scraps, but what was most precious, His Son, so that whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes in Him, should not perish but will live forever. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn, but that the world might be saved." All right, so what does it mean to be born anew? I'll explain more about ascended and descended and the whole serpent thing in the wilderness in a bit. That's important. But and right now on the center and the crooks, which is the phrase, Believe in Him. It appears in verse 15 and 16, whoever believes in Him may have eternal life, and again, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So believing in Jesus is connected to eternal life. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. What is saving faith? Saving faith is believing that Jesus is the way to everlasting life. Again, what verses 15 and 16 call believing in Him. Okay, so what does that mean to believe in Him? How do you do it? Well, let's not overthink things. The word believe in this context is used in much the same way that you and I use the word believe. Very simply, to think it's true. To think it's true. I believe the sky is blue. That means, I I think it's true, the sky is blue. I believe the sun rises in the east. I think that's true. I believe that fried eggs are better soft over soft. Wait, over easy, that's it. With lots of butter and salt. Margie's nodding in agreement, okay? And you might say, well, Brett, that's subjective. And I would say, okay, but it's still what I think to be true. Therefore, that's what I believe. So if you believe something, you think it is true, the question now is to believe in Him to believe in Jesus. To believe what about Jesus? What especially are we to believe, to think is true? Three things in particular, the incarnation, the cross, and the resurrection, that Jesus is God who came down from heaven, that He died for our sins, and that He was raised to life. Where do we get this idea? Right there in verses 13 and 14. So, let's go back and take a look. What especially is it? That we are to think is true about Jesus? Well, he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This language of ascended and descended and this idea of coming from above is something that you'll see throughout the book of John. It's one of the themes that actually starts the whole book. John says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Indeed, the eternal Word was God. And then in a few verses he says, and that eternal Word of God became human, came down to the earth from heaven. Jesus himself says this several times. One important moment is when the Jews are turning back. They can't accept his teachings, and he says, what if you saw me ascend to where I was before So he's saying, I have come from above. I've come from heaven. And this is important for Jesus because for him, he says, this is why you should believe my testimony. I alone who've been to heaven, I know the pure truth about God because I've come from God the Father. I am God the Son. He's an eyewitness to the majesty of heaven. And he's saying, that's what makes me a trustworthy source. If you want to know the way to get there, talk to someone who's been there. And he's saying, I'm the only one who has. So in the same way that eyewitnesses are important when you're investigating a crime or when you're climbing up a mountain and you want to talk to somebody who's been there before to know what is it like, someone who can say, I've been there. I've seen it with my eyes. I was there. Here's what happened. So the first thing that we are to believe, the first thing that we are to think is true about Jesus, is that he is God who came down from heaven. The second thing, we look at verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is referring to a story. One day when the Israelites were in the the desert, they were complaining, and you're like, "Well, what's new about that? That's as common as days that end in Y. They were complaining, but on this particular day, the Lord sent fiery serpents. And they started biting the people, and the people started dying. Then they cried out to the Lord. They confessed their sin, and the Lord told Moses, fashion a serpent and put it on a pole and raise it up so that when people look at it, if they've been bitten, they will live. And Moses got to be thinking, okay, that's a new one. But Moses knew better than to disregard, so he did it. And as that bronze serpent was lifted up, anyone who was bitten by the serpents was healed. It's a small little Old Testament story. Barely makes a mention in the rest of the Old Testament. Why does Jesus choose that story? When he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus doesn't explicitly use the words cross or crucifixion, but that is exactly what he's talking about with the serpent being lifted up. The snake on the pole was visually similar to Jesus on the cross being lifted up. Furthermore, the snakes brought poison, and that poison brought death. But the snake was defeated by what? An image of the snake... This foreshadows the cross where death would be defeated not by loads and loads of gold paid in ransom, or by the assemblage of the largest army Earth has ever seen to go out and to conquer death. Those things would not work. No, death is defeated by the last thing we would think. Death is defeated by death. The snake is defeated by the vision of the, the visual symbol of the snake. Death is defeated by death, a death, Jesus' death specifically. And also in that story from Numbers, there's this very pithy verse, everyone who was bitten by the snake when he sees the pole will live. Everyone who's bitten. Who here has not been bitten? by the serpent. Am I speaking figuratively? Yes, now I am. Maybe some of you have actually been bitten by a snake. I'm so sorry that happened to you. (laughs) Who here has not been bitten by the serpent? In the Bible, the serpent is not just any other animal. It means something. The serpent is the symbol for the evil one whose poison is sin and death. Is there anyone here who's not been bitten by the poison of sin, who's never hurt another person or never offended God? Go ahead and raise your hand. Is there anyone here who's never been bitten by the poison of death? That means you plan to just go on living forever in your own strength. Raise your hand if you plan to do that. I didn't think so. No one has not been bitten by the serpent. And yet in that story, when they look up, it says, everyone who was bitten, when they look to the pole, will be saved. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and He's telling you and me, what it means to believe in the Son of Man, means to think it's true, I think it's true that Jesus' death on the cross is necessary for my salvation. Why? Because I am condemned to eternal death, but the cross takes away my sin, which is the cause of my condemnation. All right, the third thing to be believed, the third thing to say this is true about Jesus, along with that He's God who came down from heaven, and that His death takes away my sin, also has to do with the phrase lifted up. There's multiple meanings, not only lifted up on the pole, but it's also referring to his resurrection, that he was lifted up from the grave, he was raised again. After the cross, Jesus came alive, never to die again. And so, again, let's not overcomplicate things. To say I believe in Jesus is to say, I think it's true that he died and was dead for three days. I think it's true that he walked out of the grave and that he's alive right now, and will be forever. I think that's true. And if you think that's true, that is remarkable. Friends, there are plenty of people in the world who don't think that's true. They might even love Jesus. They might even be a fan of Jesus. But when it comes to the resurrection, they'll say, I don't think that's true. We pray for them, that the Lord would open their hearts to believe. But just so you know, it's a remarkable thing if you think it's true that Jesus is alive right now. So saving faith, believing in him on the face of it, is as simple as saying, I think it's true that Jesus is God and he came down from heaven. I think it's true that he died on the cross for my sins, and I think it's true that he was raised to life never to die again. And on the surface, the word believe just simply means we think it's true, but there is a deeper meaning, so let's talk about that. The deeper meaning of the word believe is to trust. Believe in Jesus means to trust in Him, and to trust means total submission to Jesus In everything. Okay, that's where even if you're not Nicodemus and you're more Abraham, you're realizing, oh, yeah, I have room to grow there. Total submission in everything to Jesus, complete trust in Him of all things, not there yet. A very clear definition of saving faith is given to us, once again, from Paul's letter to the Romans. Here he says in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you declare Jesus is Lord, and then you think it's true that He's raised from the dead, what we were just talking about. Died for our sins, raised from the dead. Then you will be saved. And this declaration Jesus is Lord. To be Lord means He's master and ruler. He is over all. He is the one that I follow, He's the one that I obey in all things. And if you go back to John chapter 3, the very last verse in this chapter, says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We've heard this before. It's a theme he's repeating. But notice what he says next. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We would think that John would say, whoever believes in the Son will have life, whoever does not believe will not have life. But instead he says, whoever believes has life, whoever does not obey. So believing in Him is interchangeable with obeying Him. Belief and obedience are inseparable. Now, think of it this way. In all things? Yeah. Let's say you had a friend who was a pilot who could fly the big jetliners and also the small single-propeller planes, And this friend takes you up into the air often and you fly around with him and you trust him with your life in that plane. Let's say you're with that same friend out on the golf course and he says, hey, I'll drive the golf cart. And you said, whoa, no way. (laughs) That thing looks really tippy. There's pedestrians everywhere. I don't trust you with a 15-horsepower electric motor. Are you sure you can handle that? We wouldn't do that. That would make no sense. If I trust you to fly me around up in the air, I would trust you to drive me around in a golf cart. Friends, if we believe, if we say Jesus is the way to eternal life, and we say, yeah, I, I believe that he will lead me through death to eternal life, wouldn't it make sense that we would also trust what he says about gender and sexuality? Wouldn't it make sense that we would also trust what he says about money? Wouldn't it make sense that we trust Him with our jobs and our lives and our relationships that are causing us stress? Wouldn't it make sense that if we trust Jesus to lead us through death into everlasting life, that we would believe that all the commands that He gives us now for this life on this earth are good, and that if we follow them, it will be good for us? Saving faith must lead to submission to Jesus in order for it to be true belief. Let me say that again. Saving faith must lead to submission to Jesus in all things in order for it to be saving faith. Now we're starting to feel a little bit like Nicodemus again. I have some questions. Wait, all of my life, every part of my life, Jesus, all of your teachings, Every part of the Bible, I don't get to pick and choose. Jesus, I, I believe in you, but I have some questions. If that's where you're at this morning, it's really important for you to know that's where Nicodemus was at also. He's a great example for someone who has questions but is seeking. And it's important and encouraging to know later on in the story, he actually stands up for Jesus against the religious leaders. At the end of the story... He helps Joseph of Arimathea bury the body of Jesus when he was dead. When Jesus was dead, not not Nicodemus. And so even though the Bible doesn't say, what's the final story on Nicodemus, his trajectory looks good. And he does model for us someone who has questions and he's willing to ask. And if that's the place where you're at this morning, it's best for you to be honest about it. To be honest that that's where you are. Honesty is always the right choice. But I'll also say this to you, don't stay there. Seek until you find. Don't live forever in limbo. Seek for the truth. And the last thing I'll say on this matter, and now I'm speaking especially to our high school students, our college students, our young people, those who most often are in a place of, of questioning and struggle, to you I say, but of course to anyone who's wrestling, you can never go wrong by saying... Jesus, I submit to you. You can never go wrong saying that. Jesus, I don't fully understand everything you say. Jesus, I don't like everything you say, and your Bible says, but I submit to you. And if at the end what you say is not what I want or it's not what I like, but you're clear on the matter, matter I will choose to submit to you. You can never go wrong by saying that. Now, perhaps for others of you, it's not the teachings or the commands of Jesus that you struggle with in submission and surrender, but it's the trials and the challenges you're facing. You might be saying, Lord, you're asking me to go through what? You're asking me to bear what burden? You want me to entrust that person or that relationship to you and and trust you fully, but like with Abraham, saving faith grows best in the soil of trial and challenge in those moments where God is stretching you, and it doesn't feel good. So we're all in different places this morning, but in one way, the closing invitation to you is the same wherever you're at. Trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding. And if you're here this morning, and you are like Nicodemus, you walked in and you would have said, I don't have saving faith. I'm not a Christian. I'm not ready to fully believe. But as I'm talking, you're hearing the voice of God, and you're saying, something is changing in me. And now I think it's true that Jesus is God who came from heaven. I think it's true that He died for my sins. I think it's true that He was raised to life and He lives forever. I want us to close our eyes, and I don't know if that is the case for anyone here, but if it is, I want you to pray after me. Jesus, I trust You. I trust Your death and resurrection for my life. And Lord, I submit to you with my whole heart. If you are here this morning and you prayed that prayer, tell someone today. And if you're here this morning and there's something that right away you know, I have saving faith, but that thing I'm having a hard time trusting the Lord with, I'm having a hard time submitting to the Lord about, Your prayer today, and you can pray this every day, is, Jesus, I trust you with, and then fill in the blank, that specific thing. And if there's nothing that comes to mind, then you can pray a very daring prayer, which is, Jesus, I want to grow in my faith. Give me a new chance and a new reason to trust in you. That's your prayer today. And may we all, with saving faith, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.